Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Good. Uh, thanks for being here today, and we're all here, so the end of the world didn't happen, uh, which was a good thing. And um, uh, I, I sort of feel this, um, as your pastor, I sort of feel this responsibility to, to use this as a teaching moment. Uh, and so rapture fever has never, hardly ever been so alive and then died so quickly uh, as it died maybe this morning. But um, I, I just simply want to point out that um, this book... Is, is the story of God's work of redemption in the world. And it needs it has multiple layers of meaning for which we should study it. And it is uh, all of us could dedicate a lifetime to study of this book and this story. But the way in which we approach a story and the way in which we study a story is far different than the way that we would study a textbook. And uh, I think the, the errors come when we approach this book primarily as a textbook to be dissected. Uh, and, and so I don't want to say any harsh or critical or sarcastic words uh, against the, the parties involved that have felt so confident in predicting to the end of the world. Uh, but I believe that this is primarily a story which is, invites us into the story. And so anytime that we try to crack the code or reveal the, the secret message, uh, then we have dramatically misunderstood this book. So uh, that, that's simply what I, I want to, to say about that. But um, I am glad that we're all here uh, today. I also have a, a special announcement that I want to share uh, this morning. And uh, so, Amy, if you would come on up here. Uh, I want to let all of you know that Amy and I are expecting our second child. So um, you have... Don't. I, thought, I think I've done really well hiding it. <laughs> So you have never been so beautiful as you are now. So uh, thank you so much for 10 years of marriage and uh, for growing our second child inside of you. It is hard work. <laughs> so um, now let's get started this morning. Uh, this is the first week of our Ashes to Fire uh, series. And I want to give you just a little bit of, of um, explanation as to why we do our series. The first week for, of every series, I, I try to explain why and uh, what our goal is behind it. And, and Ashes to Fire is really meant to remind us uh, that the Easter season is not just one week in the life of the church. That uh, the church yearly calendar goes around and Easter is a season that goes beyond. And so uh, it, it's simply a recognition that our, the celebration of Easter ought to, to last much uh, further beyond than just the Easter Sunday that we celebrate. And so as we, as we go through these teachings, they may seem like they don't have any central theme. They may seem a little bit disjointed, uh, but the, the overall arcing uh, kind of theme or message of the series is that the resurrection matters for you and I today. And so we're going to try to tie every message back to the reality of the resurrection and how we live that out in our lives. And we're doing that as a way to help us begin to understand that Easter is not a single Sunday in the life of the church, that it is actually a whole season. Now, of course, some of you are saying, well, it's not just a season, it's every uh, single Sunday. And I would, I would agree with you that every Sunday we gather to celebrate Jesus who got up out of the grave and is making a difference in our lives today. Um, but we want to do that for ashes to, to fire. So that's what we're going to that's what we're going to be doing during this series. Um, if you'll open your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 56, Psalm 56, um, I would uh, love for you to, to follow along with me as I read. And um, 
Uh, we're going to be looking at, uh, today I've entitled the message, uh, In the Midst of Fire, and uh, then the subtitle is Trusting God When Fear is on the Rise. Uh, I've decided that titles to messages ought to be really long, uh, because I've um, been listening to th- uh, theological um, this, this gives you an idea of, of just who I am and how nerdy I am. When I mow the lawn, I listen to um, theology lectures on iTunes U. And all the, the titles of the lectures are really long. And I thought, in order for me to come across as, as more intelligent, if the sermon titles are longer, you all will think that I'm smarter. Um, so here we are, in the midst of fire, subtitle, Trusting God When Fear is on the Rise. All right? So that's where we're headed. Now, Psalm 56, let's, uh, let's read it together. You can follow along with me. Uh, it says, Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me, and all day long they press their attack. And my slanderers pursue me all day long, and many are attacking me in their pride. And when I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid, for what can mortal man do to me? And all day long they twist my words. They are always plotting to harm me. They conspire, they They lurk, they watch my steps, eager to take my life. On no account let them escape in your anger, O Lord, for bring down the nations. And record my lament and list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? And then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord in whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid, for what can man do to me? I am under, I am under vows to you, O God, and I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Psalm 56. Now, uh, I recently, I heard of a, a, a new Christian uh, this week that said, you know, I'm not sure why people find the Psalms so comforting, because when I read them, I find them quite despairing. Uh, that many of the Psalms are, are David, the psalmist, crying out to God in despair. And so this person was saying, you know, why in the world are the Psalms so comforting to so many people? And, and at first read, that's, this Psalm may come across in precisely that way. But I, I feel like that if we look closely at this Psalm, Uh, and allow it to really speak into our lives, that it has some really uh, rich truth to offer us uh, and and make a phenomenal and tremendous and significant difference in our life. In fact, I believe that every time that we open up the Word of God, it has the potential to absolutely transform us. And so we want to to look at this psalm uh, deeply this morning and, and allow it to speak into our lives. Now, The first thing that becomes clear in the psalm is that David is facing some really strong opposition, right? And and to get a sense of of how this passage can speak to us today, we have to ask, uh, what does the opposition of enemies really look like in a modern context? Uh, Because we, we hear David talk about the opposition of enemies, and we know from history that David is most likely talking about the the military enemies and military conquests. And so for us, 
us to begin allowing this to speak truth into our own lives, we have to say, what does that opposition of enemies really look like in our own lives and in a modern context? Because the reality is we live in America fairly plush lives, right? We have two-car uh, garages. We, we're Starbucks drinking, Nintendo Wii playing, mountain hiking lives, right? And so we, we come across, and, and we come across this idea of enemies, and we say, well, yes, I may have enemies. No, maybe not. Uh, but I want to help reveal to us that, in fact, all of us, uh, I think, do have some enemies. Now, from time to time, people ask me, Pastor Andy, when are we going to do some real Bible study? Like, you know, original language and all that kind of stuff. When are we going to get into Greek and Hebrew? If that's you, this is your day. I have tailor-made this message precisely for you, okay? So if you're into all that, get your pencils and pens and iPads and and Android phones and iPhones ready to take some notes up in here, all right? Because I'm going to give you some Hebrew, all right? I I, I also ought to um, let you know that I never took Hebrew, so this is all from... (laughs) My, my own personal study, not from the knowledge that I gained from all of my uh, extended uh, schooling, okay? Some of you are like, I can't believe he just discredited himself. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. My studies are reliable, okay? So today is your day. Now, remember, we're talking about the opposition of enemies in a modern context. Do you remember that? We're there, okay? So the, there, are some, there are some specific words that the psalmist uh, uses to help us understand what these enemies might look like in a modern context. Now, when we read the psalm in English, we don't get a sense of this because we've tended to take the three Hebrew words that David uses and use them in, into one English word. But here's the, the Hebrew words. And I say that I haven't taken Hebrew because I'm going to miss pronounce these, uh, but the meaning is there. Now, when he talks about enemies attacking him, it's the word uh, lehem, which is this military setting, right? And if we were to just to guess what he's talking about when he talks about enemies, we would, we would guess that it is a military setting for David, right? And so that's precisely what he's talking about in one sense of the word. When he's, t- when he, when he's using the word that we call attack, he's using this word to talk about a military setting. Now, however, in other English translations, they sometimes use the word trample in order to try to make this distinction that's there in Hebrew. And the word trample in English is the word sa'ap in, in Hebrew, which means a sort of socioeconomic abuse, right? So we move away from the military setting and we move into this socioeconomic abuse where I'm being abused because of, of my economic status, because of these sort of more invisible barriers or enemies that seem to face us in our lives. And then sometimes the English, again, to try to make this distinction, will again say, I'm being oppressed by my enemies, or they oppress me all day long. The Hebrew word here is lahas, which could mean either one. Right, And so it's very clear that, in other words, the vocabulary that the psalmist or David uses is open-ended enough that we can begin to understand that our enemies in our lives could mean any number of things. It could be the sort of very physical, tangible enemy, as, as though in a military context. And it could be more of those intangible kind of enemies, as though a socioeconomic abuse, right? And so there's, there's this kind of open-endedness to, our, to the word and the phrase of enemies 
communities and the, the ones that are being oppressed. And so while our lives may seem plush and easy and sometimes absence of enemies, the reality is, is that lots of us face enemies in our lives that the enemy uses to take us out, to derail us, or for some people, keep us from faith altogether, right? And so we have these sort of enemies that the enemy uses to derail our faith, mess up our faith, or keep us from faith altogether. And so, in the midst of the lattes, the flat screen TVs, the two-car garages, the enemies that we face are still very real. And for some of you today, I think I've got to be true to the text and recognize that some of you today in your lives have faced the very real, very tangible enemy in your life. The abuser that comes in late at night to have his way. The thief that violates our lives by taking what is ours and takes it for themselves. We cannot ignore the fact that though our lives may seem nice and easy uh, from the surface or from the outside... For some of you, you face the real nightmare of physical, tangible enemies in your life. And when when David, the psalmist, starts talking about enemies, oppressing them, seeking after them, watching their every move, some of you have no difficulty in identifying precisely where David is at. And so I just want to simply recognize that today. And my prayer for you is that as we walk through this psalm, if you're here today and you're facing those kinds of very real, tangible enemies, that God would speak to you and allow and care for you and really speak to your heart as to how to begin trusting in Him and alleviating some of that fear. Now, for many of us, though, the enemies that we face in our lives may not be so obvious. Uh, when we were in college, Amy, uh, Amy and I uh, met at a mission trip that we were taking. And uh, so we had a lot of times to, to build a church and, and put bricks on brick on brick. And we were doing that every day for a week. And uh, it, was a, it was a great time. While we were building this church together, uh, Amy began to, to woo me into her life with her uh, Disney movie theory. She had this theory that she could tell you precisely who you are based on your favorite Disney movie. You never knew that she was that brilliant, right? It, it was very impressive to me. So she had this. Now, this was way back. I mean, like, probably before most of you were born. You know, I mean, it's just forever ago, right? So the Disney movies that were there and available to us at the time were movies like, um, oh, I'm not a Disney movie expert. The Lion King, um, The Little Mermaid, and then, um, what's that one? Yeah, yeah, Aladdin. Yes, yeah, very good. Like, yeah, the, the flying rug, Aladdin. Okay, so... <laughs> Like the, all that stuff. Uh, so, you know, it was like a, a crop of like four or five Disney movies. And, and Amy said to me, uh, what's your favorite Disney movie out of these, you know, four or five or six? And I said, uh, The Lion King, by far. Like The Lion King is without a doubt my favorite Disney movie. She looked me straight in the eyes and she said, the only thing that's holding you back from greatness in your life is yourself. <laughs> and the fear that lies within you. Now, granted, we had known each other four days. <laughs> and at that moment, I was, uh, I was like, butter in her hands, man. I was just like, that is so true, you know? Now, of course, of, of course I've come to realize after all my schooling and education, uh, none of which were in Hebrew, but I, all my schooling and education, I, remember, I, I finally realized that she's simply applying the main plot line 
to your life, right? Because if you, whatever your favorite movie is, is the one that you identify with the most. And so she looked me straight in the eye and said, the greatest thing that's holding you back is yourself and the fear that lies within you. And I thought, man, that's true. And so I say all that to say that the reality is many of us face a sort of internal fear. So our enemy is not so much from, uh, from outside oppressing us, but for many of us, the enemy that we face is often the fear that lies within us. Uh, and it's this sort of, of, of fear where the enemy is not so tangible as an abuser, but lies within. And so the enemy comes out in the form of an addiction or depression or loneliness. And while these enemies may be a little less tangible, they are every bit as real and serious. Are you with me? Okay. So I wonder then how many of us, if we begin to, to realize the 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 full nature of the way in which we could understand enemies would really be able to identify with David's words when he says, my enemies hotly pursue me and all day long they press in their attack. And the truth is, is that in the midst of these enemies, whether they're from outside or within us, fear in our lives is on the rise. Now, I don't mean to discourage you, but if, you, if you've been here a few weeks, you know me. I, I want to be honest and, and just kind of call it like, like I see it and like it is. And so I think in our lives, many of us fear a lot more things than we might admit. And we don't often, uh, because sometimes, don't we often have the fear of not being accepted? Right? I mean, we, we go into a, a, a new place, like a church. Or like a, we, we go into a, a community or a circle of friends or into a classroom. And the fear that we have is I won't be accepted. And typically the fear rises because of one or two single things in our lives. And so we say, you know what? I'm not going to be accepted because of my weight or because of my height or because of my shape or my appearance. And we feel that, this, this, that Hollywood has set a certain particular standard of what looks good, of what is right. And if we don't fit that that mold, then we have the fear that we won't be liked and that we won't be accepted. And the reality is this is just isn't for, for ladies. For guys, the same is true because if I don't look like so-and-so, then I won't be considered attractive. I'll be considered status quo. And so we fear not being accepted and the enemy then becomes the sort of invisible standard to which we hold ourselves to. Does that make sense? You see, we often have these fears and enemies in our lives. In the same way that we fear being accepted, don't we also sometimes fear being truly known? We sometimes fear being, being vulnerable. Because if people really knew me, then they wouldn't like me. I mean, if people really knew what I was like, then there's no way they would want to hang out. They'd want to be friends. They wouldn't do it. And if people really knew me, they would see all of my issues. They would see that I'm not the person that I sometimes pretend to be. And so we ask ourselves, in the fear of being truly known, can I tell my wife about my struggles? Can I tell my friends about blank, so-and-so? You fill in the blank. And so we fear being known in our life. And so we live these lives where we are always more connected through 
technology and, and social networks, but we're always continually more and more disconnected. Now, you know me, I'm not against technology or social networks, but sometimes the appearance of connection actually leads to disconnection in our lives. And so we've just got to be careful because I fear intimacy and the enemy is vulnerability. You see, I love the way that David, in, in, like, calls on the Hebrew language to, to give us this broad scope of the enemies in our lives. We often fear the future. Anybody there? We often fear the future because we don't know what's going to happen. Will my wife still love me in 10 years or 20 years? Or for those of you who aren't married yet, who will my wife be? Will I get stuck in a job that I don't like and feel like there's no way out? Will I even get a job? Will I find a community in this new city that I'll be a part of, while we fear the future, the enemy becomes then the unknown, right? There's several ways to illustrate that. Now, I don't want to be discouraging this morning, but I do wonder if we're really, really honest uh, with ourselves, how much in our lives do we actually fear? And this is, by the way, precisely where David is at, right? Because the enemy that he faces, he describes as being there all day long. This is an enemy that doesn't just come in and do their damage and move out. This is an enemy that is forever kind of pressing in. He describes the enemy as being there all day long, always there, hotly pursuing me. The enemy is seeking to destroy my life. And so David says, in a moment of honesty, which is why I love the Psalms, he says, I I am afraid. He doesn't doesn't make any qualms about that. He doesn't leave any question. He says, because of all of this, I am afraid. But what's really interesting is that every time he talks about being afraid, he also talks about trusting in God. In the psalm, the two are always connected. This fear and this trust are always married together in the psalm. Look at this. Let's, let's just kind of look at the psalm. Verse, verse 3. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Verse 4. In God I trust, so I will not be afraid. And then he repeats that in verse 11. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. The psalms sort of have this, this raw quality to them. This honesty to them. And it's as if David is recognizing that there are two possible responses to a threat or a fear in our lives. One where we could be afraid or one where we could trust. And he lives sort of in the middle of those. It's, he, I, I think that he often repeats that he's trusting in God, not because his trust is so solid and unshakable, but because he has to remind himself not to be afraid. Have you ever been there? Right? I mean, it's not that David is sitting on this sort of rock-solid foundation of trust, and so he proclaims over and over, I trust in God. He's saying, I trust in God, and so I won't be afraid. I'm afraid, so I will trust in God. Do you see him just kind of sitting in the middle of these two responses to the fear and the enemies in our lives? I don't know about you, but I've been there, and I wonder if you've been there. Fearing what lies ahead, fearing rejection, trying to trust in God, but finding yourself to still be fearful. The first thing that we have to realize when we are trying to trust in God, put to, to trust God when fear is on the rise, is, and, and we're in the middle of the fire, is that trusting God is hard. And sometimes people will say to you, I'll just trust in God. Just trust Him more. So it'd be all good. 
And I don't know about you, but I'm like, yep, trying, not finding it to be very easy, right? I mean, let's just all be honest. I think this is where, where David is at. So the first thing we have to recognize is that trusting in God is hard. And trust doesn't just come automatically. It doesn't just happen because of, sort of, sort of some sort of formula of faith. And what I want to say to you today is that it's okay to live in the tension of fear and trust. As long as we're doing what David seems to be doing in this psalm. And that is seeking to place trust in, his trust in God more and more. We can recognize the fear and it's okay to live in that tension if we do what David is doing and trying to live faithfully in the middle. Yes, I'm afraid and I can't seem to ditch that. I can't seem to get rid of that. It won't seem to be going away. And yet in the midst of fear, I proclaim my trust in God and who he is and what he's done for me. And so while we live in the tension, seek to push up against the trust more and more. But don't find yourself to be guilty or unworthy. Because what I see so often is in the midst of a difficulty, in the midst of the fire of life and the difficulty of life, what happens is we let the fear rule and then we allow the guilt to come in. Oh, I found myself unable to trust in God, therefore I'm unworthy to even follow Him. And so we end up ditching God altogether. And so if you're in the middle of a fire today, let me say to you, the tension is okay as long as we're pushing against the trust and recognizing the fear. Are you with me? This is real life kind of stuff, huh? This is precisely where he's at. And you might say, wow, that's really nice. Live in the tension. Got that down. Doing that pretty well. But you still haven't talked to me about trusting in God when fear is on the rise, like your fancy little title says. Right? Some of you are there. There's one thing that this psalm says that I think is so powerful. And it's found in verse 9. It says this. Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. And by this, I know that God is for me. God is for me. In his book entitled Integrity, Henry Cloud uh, talks about integrity as being a wholeness of character. Not just uh, doing the right thing when no one is around, but having the, the capacity as people to meet the realities and the demands of reality. And he says that for someone in order, for, in order for someone to really trust you, they need to know that you are for them. That is to say, Henry Cloud says, that when you mess up, They aren't going to come in and come down on you with condemnation. But when you mess up, they're rather going to come alongside of you in order to help you. And that if we know that this person is truly for me, then we can begin to trust them. And this, Henry Cloud argues, is what makes marriages, friendships, and even business relationships successful. He says, a confidence that the other person is for me leads To trust. What I want to say to you today is that God is for you. If you're in the middle of a fire in your life and you're having you're finding it difficult to trust in God, let this message ring true in your ears. God is for you. God is on your side. And He loves you. And He loves you deeply. 
and he will never leave you or forsake you. The foundation of trust in God is this truth. God is for you. And I don't know what your perception of God is today, but I want you to know that he is on your side. Listen to what Paul says. He says, what then, this is in Romans, he says, what then shall we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? For he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. And how will he not also, along with him, graciously then give us all things Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. For Jesus Christ who died, and more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him Who loves us. And the foundation of that truth. Is that if God is for us. Then who can be against us. Right. This Psalm 56. Romans chapter 8. Is almost echoing back to Psalm 56. They're so similar. For if God is for us. Who can be against us. And if you're here this morning. And you need proof. That God is on your side. You need to look no further. Than the person of Jesus Christ. Who took on all your sin. Who died on the cross. And rose again. He gave up everything. So that he, he might give graciously to you. God is on your side. And he He loves you today. And I want you to be assured of that as you leave. Before you leave today, may you come into contact with the incredible love that God has for you. And so when you're not feeling enough, when you're not feeling good enough, pretty enough, tall enough, skinny enough, strong enough, God says to you, I am on your side. You count. You matter. And I want to be in relationship with you. And just as you are is enough for me. That's the reality and the truth of God today. And when that addiction takes its grip on your life and fear sneaks in, God says, I have something far better for you than this addiction. I am on your side. I am for you and I can help you see this through and I can help you overcome this. I am on your side. When we fear being known by our friends, our parents, your spouse, for fear of how they might react, God says there is nothing to fear because I have already known you. And I have taken all of your brokenness to the cross. So come to me. My arms are open today. And you are welcome to come as you are. And when the bills have stacked up and you just aren't sure how you're going to make it. And you, you, the fear that creeps in is being ashamed of not being able to, to pay those bills. God's message to you today is if you'll trust in me. I have promised to provide for you. I am for you. I am on your side. I haven't promised to give you all kinds of riches and and wealth and excess, but I have promised to meet your need as you walk in obedience to me. And so do that and place your trust in me. The foundation of trust is this truth. God is for you. And I pray that each and every one of you would leave today having that truth and that knowledge in your life. Now, if you are anything like me, You read this psalm or psalms like this and you want to know, was the enemy defeated? Right? Did David experience victory? What 
actually happened. As David finds himself in the middle ground of fear and trust and trying to do the best, what happened? Right? While the psalm does end on a positive note and David seems to have landed on the side of trust, the reality is is that it is rather ambiguous as to whether or not the enemy was actually defeated. And so the question comes up that in this psalm, has, has the deliverance already occurred or is the, the deliverance simply anticipated? Has the deliverance already occurred or is it anticipated? There's a tension there. There's an ambiguity there. And here's what I would say. This is the very nature of faith. Because faith is the ability to act as though something that is yet to come is already a current reality. Faith is the ability to act as though something that is yet to come is already a current reality. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, faith is being sure of what we hope for. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. It's acting as though a future reality is already a current reality. That's the nature of faith. And so when the question comes is, has the deliverance already occurred or is it simply anticipated? That sounds a lot like faith to me. Because faith, the very nature of faith, is sort of this middle ground. Think of it this way. We place our faith in Christ, being certain that he has died for the sins of the world, that he has defeated death through the resurrection, and yet we don't see that reality fully taking place yet in our world because we live with brokenness all around us. But the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ says that all of that should have been taken care of 2,000 years ago. And so what do we do? We place our faith in Christ Believing upon that act and its future implications. We sort of sit in the middle as faithful people seeking to not only experience the redemption of God, but then participate in the redemption of God. Does that make sense and are you with me? All right. That's the reality. And so faith itself is sort of standing in the middle of a mess, but being certain the mess is no longer there. I love that. Because I've sat in some messes in my life, right? And yet faith is the ability to say, I don't see a mess. What mess? It's living in the middle. It is being sure of what we hope for. And so this tension between deliverance occurring or just being anticipated is simply a way of saying this. Trusting in God is itself a way of anticipating deliverance and experiencing deliverance itself. Let me say that again. Trusting in God is itself a way of anticipating deliverance and experiencing deliverance itself. And so we live in this sort of messy middle ground and perhaps that's part of the point. And as we trust, we are delivered. And as we are delivered, it emboldens and strengthens our trust. So in the midst of the fire and trusting God when fear is on the rise is a way of living in this sort of messy middle ground of faith in a God who is for you, who is forever on your side. And who loves you deeply.